Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here worshiping together. I want you to think about something. God has been so incredibly faithful to us, and we're going to be focusing on that as our theme this morning, just the faithfulness of God. Now, I'm going to kind of give you the, the, the punchline that we want to, for everybody to go away with, and that is, since God was so faithful to us, he wants us to be faithful in showing his grace to other people. He's been consistent throughout the Old Testament as we've been learning. We will continue to see it today that he shows his faithful grace to each and every one of his people. And he wants and desires that, he, that we show that faithful grace in the way that we live our life. Now, I have scriptural verification that he wants to see that in us because there's going to be a day, according to Matthew chapter 25, that when we go before God, what God will delight to say is, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now you will be put in, in charge of many. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus stated that. Now, what I learned from that passage is that we're responsible to show his love and show his grace. And what we do now will reflect on the work that we do in the future. Now, I would hate for some of us to get to heaven and for God not to say those words and for us to realize that we're not going to have greater responsibility in heaven. Do you know we're going to work there? It's not just going to be sitting around playing harps or looking at each other and just, you know, being mesmerized by God. We'll be mesmerized by God. But for some way, somehow, there will be work to be done because he says, you will now be given greater responsibility. I don't understand that. I can't wait to find it out. But what I do now determines what will happen then. It's not a works thing. It's just the result of how I live my faith out for God. He can give us a greater amount of responsibility because we have shown ourselves to be faithful here. Well, I wanted to bring forward before you a testimony of two people that I think have been relatively faithful in their life. In fact, they've been incredibly faithful, and they have shown faithful grace. Now, I want you to know I am guilty of nepotism today. Uh, this, these are my parents. And uh, if, if when you get here and you preach the message, you can bring your parents up as well. But I don't want to exclude them because they are my parents. But I've asked them to share just a little bit about how they love serving God and what are some of the obstacles. So this is Jim and Rosemary Marshall, in case you don't know them. Mom and Dad, okay. how do you love serving God and what are some of the obstacles? Every morning our prayer is, make me an instrument of your love. And it, it is in, it's really fantastic. Every day there is something that comes along <clears throat> that we can do, whether it is chopping ice when it's really cold outside and seeing the joy of people saying, hey, I can walk up to my garage now. And, uh, or uh, even this morning, greeting all of you, quite a few of you, you people. It is such a joy to be uh, able to do this or to set the chairs out so that everybody will be able to appreciate uh, the <clears throat> communion time. I mean, uh, it is really, uh, really a joy to work. And the Lord has given us this, this ability. He's given me great health. 
And for this, I am so grateful. Very good. Mom? Well, my journey for serving, I think, started in childhood because my parents took me to church every Sunday, and I really enjoyed going to church. I didn't, I, I don't ever remember rebelling, and not, and, and unlike you, catechism was very meaningful for me because... Well, I thought it, you were saying I would rebel. So, no, 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 I didn't. Okay. No, no. No, let's make it clear. I was the angelic of five <laughs> yeah, children. That's so. right. I mean, yeah. you, you, yes, were I not, yes. you were not a troublesome child. <laughs> yes. But we'll, we'll just keep the stories of that, okay? <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, catechism was really Bible study at that time. And uh, it, it had great meaning for me. And I felt when I was confirmed, that uh, it had, it was very meaningful. And I, uh, when I, we moved and we went to live in New Philly, um, I, we attended the uh, same denomination of church that we had had in Akron. And I sang in the choir and I helped, I was very uh, active in the youth group. And, uh, and then later, when I was in nurse's training, I, I had a, one of my classmates, they kept talking about, and I realized going to church every Sunday doesn't make, make you a Christian. But this friend uh, kept talking about, are you saved? And I had not really heard that in our church. And uh, that started me on another journey of uh, searching. And uh, eventually, uh, I got closer to this uh, classmate and uh, accepted Christ as my savior. And it, uh, from then on, I felt led to serve the Lord in any way I could. Um, I really was very interested in, in uh, missions, but when we got married and we had children right away, um, that kind of left that kind of left me out of that picture. I didn't see any way that I could be serving in that capacity. And uh, but in later years, I have felt the Lord leading me into a card ministry. Uh, I felt that, uh, for one thing, I had so many beautiful photos that Jim took that I could use in making these cards and uh, using them as an encouragement and I, uh, just uh, let people know that you're thinking of them and uh, just being a, a, a uplifting them in their whatever they may be facing. Mom and Dad, in terms of uh, limitations, do you feel like you have limitations? You're both in your 80s now. Um, do you feel like you have limitations? I know I have limitations. I, there, do I you would, think he I would does? Not, not <laughs> well, yes, there, there, there are certain limitations yeah. he has, too. Yeah. He wouldn't say he does. No, so. he wouldn't say that. Let me, let me wrap up our time together by just uh, giving a couple observations on your life. Um, first of all, I'm so thankful for my parents because they have set an example to me and I think to you as well 
as people that have been willing to uh, absorb the mission of Mission View and, and believe in it and to live it yeah, out. Amen. They left a, a comfortable environment. They left their Sunday school class. Then, truthfully, they left a style of worship that, that is, that is uh, more their liking to be able to be a part of a church that a younger generation can be a part of. Not that we just want young people. I think you guys are here because you want to see that happen. Is that true, Dan? I'll tell you, the music today was fantastic. I, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it, even sitting over there where you could hear the beat. I mean, it, it was good. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Okay. Here's the other thing I appreciate, is that you guys have just been faithful in showing grace <clears throat> in so many areas of your life. And you're, you're unsung heroes. Nobody uh, is normally tooting your horn, so I'll do it for you because what I see, Mom, is you faithfully writing those cards. And there are people in our body that have received a homemade card from Rosie Marshall, and she makes those diligently down in her basement like that. She has quite a setup. And uh, you, you, she takes it as a serious ministry to encourage people. Dad comes down to the, uh, the, to the offices and washes windows. He's a deacon in the ministry. And both of them have been faithful. And there's been, like, nothing that is stopping them. Mom has tough, a tough time getting around with your hips. I mean, you know, you get older, those things kind of wear out a little bit. But that's okay. She greets sitting down often. And so nothing is going to stop her. Uh, my dad has macular degeneration, so he is now legally blind. You would not know that by the way that he serves. They go out to the... Uh, Serving the mom serves in the nursery during the community work day. Dad was out there with a sawzall. It was very dangerous. He kind of <laughs> was feeling his way around to, to chop down trees, but that was the his that's his heartbeat is to be able to serve that way. And so many ways, there's just nothing that stops them. And when it's cold out and there's snow outside, they're here. Uh, they're not saying that when it was 30 degrees below zero, he's like, why didn't we have church? What's wrong with you people? So here's the other thing. My dad on March 28th, being legally blind, this is going to make a lot of logical sense. He is going out to Aspen to go skiing. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's through a division of the uh, DAV, so the, the disabled veterans, and they're going to be able to go out, and he applied for this so that he could go out downhill skiing. And while they're there, you're going to be kayaking, rock climbing. You're going to be uh, 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 oh, snowmobiling. snowmobiling. Um, he said curling was available, but that was too boring, so he's not going to do that. So I, I love your zeal for life. And what I want to say is thank you, and may your tribe increase. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Well, we have been going through God's story, and as we have been going through God's story, um, we've been making our way through the Old Testament. This is our last week in the Old Testament. The next week we'll be in the New Testament. We have given just more of an overview of, of what, what is taking place so that you can have a framework of thinking of seeing how God's plan of redemption is moved from Old Testament to New Testament. 
Let me give you a little summary for those of you that are newer or haven't been involved in the story. I want to give you just a quick synopsis. Basically, God has provided so far, he has provided two incredible gifts to the people, uh, to, to mankind. The first one was the Garden of Eden, and that was right at the beginning of Genesis. And there's kind of a contrast I'm going to develop here. He gave that as a gift. He did it out of his glory. He made all of that, and he said, I want you to take and enjoy. The other gift that he gave was one man who he made a family, who he made a nation. We're talking about Abraham. And eventually he gave them a land called Canaan. And in that promised land, he gave them a holy temple where his glory resided. And so God gave them both Eden and he gave them the promised land with the temple. And God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to proclaim my glory. That's what I want you to do. In the temple, basically the, the temple was there for the, the nation of Israel to draw other nations to say, come and learn about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, in both situations, man blew it. Adam and Eve exchanged the glory of God for their own glory. They went for the way of sin. We also saw last week how the nation of Israel took this beautiful opportunity. They were on top of the hill. They had the opportunity to give God's glory. And as a result, though, they went the way of sin and they exchanged the glory of God for the glory of man. And that was the problem. And so God took them out of Eden and he took them out of Canaan. He destroyed the temple. And so God said, enough. Now, here's my question. Did God give up on his people by saying enough? Absolutely not. Even though man had this propensity for sin, for always going towards selfishness and pride, God had this tenacity to show his faithful grace to his people. And my friends, I hope if there's any message you hear today, it is this. God is faithful all the time. God is faithful in showing his grace. Even last week in the midst of judgment, we saw grace three ways. We saw that God said, I'm going to fulfill my promise to you, that there's going to be a nation that will arise, that through that nation a Messiah will come. He says he reaffirmed that he was going to keep that. That's why he gave the tribe of Judah so that that could be fulfilled. He said he's, he gave prophets to give a warning to the people. That was a sign of grace. God doesn't want us going the wrong way. Sometimes when God brings people to us to warn us, God, that's a gift of God so that we can be corrected and we can go the right way. And he also gave, he not only gave the prophets, but he gave discipline. And we don't think of discipline as a great thing, but it is actually an excellent thing. And that's what God did. Now, so where we pick up in the Old Testament is discipline has taken place and there's been 70 years of captivity. The northern tribe is completely gone, but there's this tribe called Judah that is in Babylon and for a 70-year captivity. And what we're going to see is God is going to be faithful in his plan. He is going to be faithful with his people and he will be faithful to his promises. Let's ask God that he would open our hearts as we do this overview of this period of time. God, help us to see your love. Help us to see your plan for us. And I pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Very quickly, in terms of the plan, he gave a plan to Abraham. What was that plan? 
He said, I am going to bless you. I am going to make you a great nation. And from you, all the earth, peoples of the earth will be what? Blessed. All the peoples. That's the plan of God that he wants to fulfill. Now, it would seem at this point that there's a minor setback with the 10, na 10 northern tribes completely gone and the southern tribe now in captivity. But what I want you to see is that God was faithful even in the exile. He had the exile plan. In Jeremiah 29, 10, this is what God had said. You can just re read along with me. A lot of these scripture passages will be on the, on the screen. Jeremiah 29, 29.10 says this, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. God had this 70-year exile planned out. Now, there are some people that have looked at the 70 years and said, I don't think it computes. You'll see on the next slide that there is a, a kind of a chart of the waves of people going into exile. They were taken from the, uh, the promised land to Babylon, and then there was the returns that were given. The first wave was in 605 B.C., and the return was 538 B.C., now, there's a difference of 67 years there. You say, well, that doesn't add up to 70 years. And you go down the line, there's a difference in the different waves of departures and the waves of return. You say, well, where's the 70 years? Well, really, the 70 years was the time that the Babylonians were in power. Basically, God was using a foreign nation to bring discipline upon Israel. And what's interesting is the Babylonians came into power in 609 B.C., and they ended in power in 539 B.C. If you subtract that, you're going to get 70 years. Now, I know some of you don't really particularly care for history, and you, uh, this is as fun for you as watching an episode of Fun with Flags with Dr. Sheldon Cooper. Okay, now some of you don't know what in the world I just said. Don't worry about that. At the very end of the service, as you're walking out, I, you'll see who Dr. Sheldon Cooper is. But uh, th there's a point in all of this. The point is that God was using nations as a puppet. God was in control. God was doing as he wanted to do. It's interesting, as, as the Assyrians were going out of power, God had that planned. In Jeremiah 31, 8, it says, Assyria will fall by sword. This was a prediction in advance of Assyria falling uh, by sword that is not of man. A sword not of mortals will, be de will devour them. They will flee before the sword of... Uh, and their young men will be put to forced labor. God had it planned that the Syrians would go out of power. God had it planned that the Babylonians would go into power. But guess what? God even had a plan that the Babylonians at the end of 70 years would be taken over by the Persians, by the Persian Empire. Look at this prophecy in Isaiah 44. Very interesting. It says this, Who says of Cyrus... He is my shepherd. Speaking of Cyrus, Cyrus was the Persian king. He is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He, Cyrus, will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Do you realize that this was a prophecy that was given 100 years before Cyrus was even born? 
the Persian Empire wasn't even a blip on the radar screen, but God had it predicted. He knew the man by name that would overthrow the Babylonians. Here's the clear picture that I want you to see. God is in control. He was control in the, uh, the, 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 na the nation of Israel going into exile, but he was also in control in the return. Now, you're going to see a chart on the screen, and it's going to show the waves of returns. Now, in the first wave of returns, as they were coming out of exile, you'll see kind of a parenthesis there. In that first wave, there was a guy named Zerubbabel that led the, the people of Israel, the first grouping of people out of old Babylon, new Persia, out of that and back into the promised land. Now, he had a role that God used for him. He was going to be the one that Cyrus was going to favor. And Cyrus, for some reason, because he got, God got his heart, because God was pulling on his heartstrings, and God said, I want you to provide everything. So he was going to take all the materials provided by the Persians to rebuild the temple. Why the temple? Because that's at that time where God's glory was to dwell. It was to be a picture so God is showing his grace here, his faithful grace. God gave Haggai and Zechariah as prophets to keep them on track because these people were prone to going their own way. Then there was a 57-year uh, period between the first parentheses or the first wave and the second wave of return. Now, I'm going to speak about that, that 57 years here in a minute in the next promise that God kept. So keep that in mind. The second wave was led by a guy named Ezra. Ezra led the people back for spiritual reformation. Listen to this. Ezra 7.10 says, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and the observance of the law of the Lord and to teach its decrees and laws in Israel. Notice the heart of God. God just doesn't want external belief. God wants internal belief. He wants spiritual reformation. There are some people even here today that you have gotten the external part because you go to church. You might faithfully pray. You might do it out of a token way, just like my mom shared in her life. But you don't, God doesn't have your heart. He doesn't have it completely. And this is the spiritual formation that God wanted for them. Now, I want to encourage you to read the book of Ezra. Ezra will tell you about the first and second wave. And if you want to understand the third wave, 12 years later, that was led by a guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah rebuilt the wall. The wall was very important for their security. Now, if you look at Nehemiah chapter 1, you see the heart of Nehemiah. Before he approaches the king, he goes and prays a prayer and he says, God, forgive us. Forgive us. We are a people that are unclean. I am a leader that is unclean. We are unworthy of you. We bow before you. You are the great and gracious God. And then he goes on and says, you are the one that has given the promise that if we disobey, you are going to scatter us to the furthest parts of the heaven. But if we would call upon your name, if we would just call upon your name, you will draw us back. Do you see the heart of Nehemiah? The heart of Nehemiah is that he believed in a faithful God. He believed in the faithful grace and the promises that God gave. 
Now, here's the lasting principle that I want you to see in God being faithful in his plan. God is ruthlessly, ruthlessly committed to carrying out his plan of redemption. My friends, we're going to see that unfold because next week the Messiah comes. We're going to see that. God is faithful about that. And friends, I want you to know that God is still committed to redemption. The, we know the Messiah has come, and we know that he died on a cross for us. We know that God is in control. But we look around us sometimes, and we see our world in turmoil, and we get fearful. We see that Russia has invaded Ukraine. We see that ISIS is taking over the Middle East. We see the evils of Boko Haram in Nigeria, Africa. We see even what goes on in our own countries in the riots in Ferguson, Missouri. We see it all around us. Please understand, God is in control. He works the nations as he wants, and he is carrying out a greater plan that we can't even fully comprehend at this point in our life. But God is in control. Do you know that in Iran, one of the places that is most persecuted for those that come to faith in Christ, that the greatest revival since, uh, since, that they have ever seen is happening right now? There are Iranians that are receiving dreams and visions where they are understanding in that dream and vision about the Messiah, about Jesus Christ. And it's causing them to go and search out the word of God and find somebody that could tell them. There are more people that are coming to faith in Christ in Iran. Why is it? My friends, God is in control in amongst all the nations of the world. He is faithful to his plan. But God, God is also faithful to his people. Now, we're not going to read this, but in the book of Esther is in that little parentheses of time between the first wave and the second wave, that 57 years. And I want to encourage you to read the book of Esther this week. Now, the book of Esther is a, a picture of how God is faithful to his people. Let me give you the cliff notes of that book. Please understand, first of all, there was a plot that, there was, that the Jewish people would be completely annihilated in this book. If that were to happen, and that plot would have extended back even to the promised land, the edict that was given would be to exterminate all Jews in the world. You notice there's kind of been a theme in our lifetime that the Jews should be exterminated. There is a reason for that. There is an evil intent of the enemy against his chosen people. But God said, I'm not going to allow that to happen. So there, here's what happened. King Xerxes was the Persian king during that parentheses of time between the first and second wave back. And he was, his wife fell in disfavor with him, so she was off the scene. And so any king needs to have a, a nice wife. Now, I got to say that in that time, in that day and age, a king required a beautiful wife, not just a beautiful wife, a drop-dead, gorgeous, most beautiful woman in all of Persia. He wasn't going to take an ugly woman. He was going to take a beautiful woman. And so he has a beauty contest. And so he has this beauty contest to find the most beautiful woman in the kingdom. And lo and behold, the person that wins that contest is Esther. 
Now, the king doesn't know she's Jewish, and, G and Esther was raised by a guy named Mordecai, and Mordecai says to Esther, do not tell anybody that you are of the Jewish nation, that you are of Israel. You are not to say that at all. And so Mordecai tells her that. Now, Mordecai was a cousin that, in a sense, raised Esther. And Mordecai was this guy that was very influential in the Jewish community, but he was also influential in the Persian community. In fact, he was used to foil a plot against the king. Now, the king didn't recognize it at first, but it did go into the record books of the Persians. They were very diligent in keeping notes, especially when somebody saved the king. Keep that in mind. Now, Esther had gained great favor in the eyes of the king because she was beautiful, but also because she was a woman of character. She feared God, which, uh, which was good because there was somebody else in the king's life. His name was Haman. He was an advisor. This advisor was anti-Semitic. He hated the Jewish people, and he hated them largely because of Mordecai. Mordecai, he didn't realize the association of Esther and Mordecai, but Mordecai was a leader in the community, and whenever Haman as a king's official would go through town, Mordecai would not bow down while everybody else was bowing down. And that got under his skin. And so he made a plot that he was going to exterminate all the Jewish people that Mordecai represented. Now, through trickery, Haman got the king to sign an edict to have a group of problem people exterminated from the land. Little did he realize that this, he signed an edict that would destroy his own wife that he favored. Now, as this evil plan, plan what became known, Mordecai called on Esther and said, it's time for you to let this be known. In Esther chapter 4, verse 14, it says this, Mordecai says, who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. God has you in a strategic place. And Esther replies, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now in that day and age, a wife could not go before her, her husband, the king, unless the king summoned her. Now, guys, I wouldn't try this at home. I don't think it works. You have to be royalty for that to happen. But he, he, he didn't summon her. If he doesn't summon her, she could be dead. So she takes the risk and she goes before him, but he does not kill her. Meanwhile, this Haman is so agitated by Mordecai that he and his wife do a little brainstorming and they're like, hey, Here's a great idea. Let's build a gallows in the middle of town, 75 feet high, so we can have Mordecai killed right in the center of town. And so he's going to petition the king to have this happen at the banquet the very next day. And that doesn't happen. This is a banquet that Esther is throwing king for the king and Haman. And so he's excited about asking his permission. But an interesting thing happens between that time and the next day. That night, the king has insomnia. He can't sleep. And what do you do when you can't sleep? You get something incredibly boring to read, and then maybe you'll fall asleep. So he calls one of his servants and says, give me the king's, uh, the, the log of our kingdom. I want you to read off the history. To his surprise, though, he realized that there was a person 
that foiled a plot to kill the king, his name was Mordecai, and that he had never been honored. And so in the morning, he struggled to make a plan, and in comes his advisor, in comes his advisor, Haman. And he says, Haman, what should I do for someone that's extremely special? What should I do for them? Of course, Haman, being the narcissistic fool that he was, thought he was planning something for himself, so he made it really nice. He says, well, I would put a royal robe on him. I would put him on a horse so that you could parade him through town in a royal way. And the king says, that's a great idea. Haman, I want you to do that for Mordecai. And so he parades him through town, and you could probably just see it on his face, the agitation. This was getting under his skin. And things went bad to worse for Haman, because that night at the banquet, Queen Esther revealed that she was a Jew, and that Haman had a plot that the edict that he signed was to exterminate all of her people, which would have included herself. The king was in a rage, and of course, Haman died on his own noose. So what do we learn from this? Here's the lasting principle. God is ruthlessly committed to protecting his people. He always has. God has been ruthlessly committed. We even look in our history in our lifetime. God, the, the Jewish people have defiled all odds. There are people all around the Jewish nation that are saying, we want to wipe them off the face of the earth. And God continues to preserve his people. He is going to do a work still through them. But God did it back at this time. He did it while they were under the Babylonian reign. He preserved them. He's now preserving them under the Persian reign. And right after the Persian reign, there would be the Greek reign. You can see this on this chart here. The Greek reign that, uh, that's going to exist, and eventually it will lead to the Romans. And he will preserve them under the Romans. Why does he do it? He does it because he had a promise that he would bless all the nations of the earth through this people group. And so he must preserve them. And next week, we get to see about that Messiah. God is ruthlessly committed to protecting his people. Friends, this is still true today. You need to realize that. God is in charge, and he is working behind the scenes in your life. He's working in circumstances that you just can't completely see or understand, but know that he's got your back. This doesn't mean that we're not going to go through difficult times, but please understand, as a Christ follower, we are his people. And we, the safest place to be is right in the center of God's care. God is faithful to his plan. God is faithful to his people, and finally, he is faithful to his promises. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but here's what I want you to see. During this period of time, there were a lot of prophets, and these prophets started getting these visions and started saying things that were preparing the way for this Messiah to come. There would be a 400 years of silence that they could meditate and they can dwell on all these prophecies that were, to, uh, that were given at that time. Isaiah foretold of a Messiah that would be born of a virgin. Imagine that. Chapter 7, verse 14, long before it happened, 
He also prophesied in chapter 9 that God would raise up a Messiah, that the government would rest on his shoulders, and they would call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 53, it predicted the murder of the Messiah in great detail. Jeremiah predicted that there would be a righteous branch that would spring out of Israel. Micah spoke of the precise location of the Messiah's birth in Micah chapter 5. Zechariah said that there would be a triumphal entry of the Messiah into Jerusalem in Zechariah 9. And that he, he also predicted the Messiah's arrest in chapter 13. And he also predicted that he would be pierced in the sides. All these details. Malachi predicted that the, uh, the last of the Old Testament prophets predicted that the forerunner, John the Baptist, would go before the Messiah, but that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem eventually and enter in a glorious way into his temple. Remember when they said, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna is the king? And that's exactly what Jesus did just before he died. Here's the lasting principle. God is ruthlessly committed to fulfilling his promises. And this, my friend, is the God we serve. We got a God throughout all the Old Testament. He's fulfilled every one of his gracious promises. He has been faithful every step of the way. And what we need to ask ourselves is, can I trust this faithful God who has a flawless track record? I gotta be honest with you. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've gone through dark moments, and I've doubted, where I have just questioned, what in the world is going on? Why is it that not all my kids believe? Why is it that hurts? I cry out to God. Why is it that I'm going through this trouble? Why is it that there's transitions that have happened at mission? Why? Why does this happen? And then all I got to do is look at God. Maybe that's why Jesus said, fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes. Because my friends, we have a God that has a flawless track record. Today, I want to close our message with a story of faithfulness between a son and a father. It's inspirational. Just as we have seen how God the Father has been faithful in his plans, in it, to his people, to his promises, I want you to see that he has stamped that faithfulness in our hearts. And what he wants of us is for us to express that faithfulness. Remember at the beginning, the punchline? God has been faithful in showing his grace because he wants us to show that faithful grace to others. I want you to watch this. And then I'm going to come back with just a few observations, and then we'll close with a few songs. God has stamped his image of grace in our life, if you are a Christ follower. And what he wants is for you to demonstrate that in everyday life. Let me give you four ways that that should happen. First of all, be faithful to God. Friends, we live in a society where faithfulness to God is going out the door. A lot of people are not faithful in church, and I'm not trying to come down, but I want you to know that church should be a great priority. Worshiping our great God should be a great priority. Yes, we have vacations. Yes, we have work. But as much as we can, make church a priority and walk with God. 
During the week, spend time in God's word. Be faithful to God. Second, be faithful in service. God has designed you with spiritual gifts. Some people would say, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. You'll see on there, spiritualgiftstest.com. You can go to, you can Google anything. I mean, this week I was Googling how to take a drain out. Then I thought, well, let's Google spiritual gifts. So that's what I came up with. I actually took the test. It was pretty accurate. It was good. It gave me an indication. But whatever you need to do, understand how God has designed you and get active involved in that gift. Third, be faithful to family. Be faithful to your family. Be intentional in raising your kids in the Lord, knowing that your example will set the pace for your kids and how you love your spouse and how you love your church and how you love giving and how you love reaching out to your neighbors. And finally, be faithful in your work. God has given you a core. Remember what core is? Circle of responsibility. He's given you a platform, and we'll talk more about that next week. But utilize, take your job, do it with integrity so that you can have that platform. And this last song, I just want us to bellow out the faithfulness of God. Now, some people are reflective in nature and don't like to sing. Get over it, okay? God says make a joyful noise, and you might be in the noise category right alongside of me, but sing with all your hearts.